0: So as we think about Deuteronomy, uh, we're into what I consider to be a really exciting and interesting book. It was Deuteronomy was sort of a favorite book, it seems, for Jesus and for Paul as much as they uh, cited uh, Deuteronomy, and that ought to make it exciting for us. This is really Moses talking to that second generation of Israelites as they were uh, reapproaching the Promised Land. Okay, so let's move on up, move out, move over, and then let's let people come, hopefully, uh, to where you can find some places. We're probably going to have to use every spot. There's some seats up here at the front, so we may want to move up to those and uh, just continue to uh, think about the people who are coming in as uh, we do this. Um, as usual in the Pentateuch, you've kind of got the end of Numbers dovetailing with the beginning of Deuteronomy. And uh, this just continues the story. Numbers has led them up uh, to conquering the kings of the Transjordanian region, and they're really just about to enter the Promised Land. So would somebody read Deuteronomy 1, verses 1 to
1: 5? (laughs) These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness in the the Arabia opposite Sue between Paran and Tophel, and Laban and Hazorah, and Dizabah, or Dizabah. It is 11 days' journey from Poro, by the way of Mount Seir, to Kadesh Barnea. In the, 14, in the 14th year, on the first day of the uh, 11th month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give to them. After he had after he defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Hishbon and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, and Ashtoreth and e- Israel. Across the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying... Okay,
0: so, we've got the setting. Moses is speaking to all Israel in that
1: Transjordan
0: region. And he makes the point in verse 2. How many days did it take to go from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea? 11 days. And that journey of 11 days is stretched into almost 40 years now. That should tell them something, shouldn't it? What a terrible reminder of the consequences of disobeying and not trusting God. It shouldn't have taken them 40 years to make that 11-day journey. Now, why is Moses mentioning that right now? He doesn't want this generation to squander this opportunity they must not repeat the Kadesh Barnea experiment. What though their forefathers had done in not trusting the Lord and refusing to go up to conquer the land with the Lord's blessing, this generation doesn't need another 40 years to die off in the wilderness. And so Moses mentions that. This is the 40th year now, the 11th month. They defeated the two kings, Sihon and all. More about that a little later. And Moses is going to expound the law to them. Comments and questions. Okay, six to
2: eighteen. The Lord God the Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Arab, in the hill country, and in the lowland, and in the Negev." and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, and to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. I spoke to you at the time, saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you and behold you are this day like the stars of the heavens in number may the lord the god of your fathers increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you just as he has promised you how can i alone bear the load and burden of the of you and your strife choose wise and discerning and experienced men from the tribes and i will appoint them as your heads You answered me and said, The things which you have said to do is good. So I took the heads of the tribe, wise and experienced men, and appointed them heads over you, leaders of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties and of tens, and officers of the tribes. Then I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your fellow countrymen, and judge righteously between between a man and his fellow countrymen, or the alien who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear men, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. I command you that at, at that time all the things that should be done.
0: Now what Moses is now doing is going back and recounting some high points of the history. This would be similar to a covenant format in the ancient Near East between nations, between a conquering nation and the subject nation, they would usually in the treaty have a historical prologue like this. Moses mentions that at that time, when they had been at Mount Sinai, God tells them in verse 6, you date long enough at Mount Sinai. You know, they, they were enjoying the presence of God on the mountain, but the time has come to leave and conquer more territory for the Lord. As often we have to think about, sometimes we would love just to stay in a place like this all the time. But there comes a time when God says it's time to leave and go and conquer more territory. In our case, more people for the Lord. So they did. And God told them, I put this land before you. This is the land, verse 8, that I swore to give to your fathers. So God's oath To give this land to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob shows God's irreversible commitment. He intends for the people of Israel to have this land, but they've got to go and possess it. God doesn't just hand it to them on a silver platter. They've got a responsibility to go in with God's blessing and help to conquer the land. Again, think about how similar that is to our situation. Hasn't God given us a responsibility to conquer territory for him, people for him, with the gospel? Now, he's going to do the work, but he expects us to be active in that. He expects us to go and fight the battle with the sword of the Spirit to win people to the Lord. And I wonder if there's not a whole lot of application for us in our conquering work as we think about these Israelites... Who ended up totally messing up when they when they went up to the land the first time. And very much for the same reason that we'll see that we struggle with that, they thought they couldn't do it. They thought I'm just not good enough, I'm not we're not capable enough, we're not strong enough, and all that sort of thing. Now, in verse nine, what Moses had told them is there's too many of you for me to be able to make all the decisions. And all the judgments myself. Um, that really showed that God was fulfilling another promise to make them a great nation. You know, God was, had done that. He says, he's made you as many as the stars of the heaven in number. You remember what God told Abraham? That his descendants would be as many as the stars. He told him in Genesis 15, you look up. Can you count the stars? Or you won't be able to count your descendants either. God's fulfilled that promise. But what that means is, Moses trying to lead all the people and make all the decisions just was not working. And so he says, you need to choose some wise, good, experienced men to oversee these judgments. Moses realized the need to delegate responsibility. It's never a good idea. When one person tries to do all the work, it doesn't work well. It's necessary that we delegate responsibility and use good men to do more work instead of trying to hog it all ourselves. And so that's what they did. They kind of developed a court system with good men in the leadership trying to make (laughs) the decisions between the people. And he makes the point, as he tells them how they're supposed to make those judgments, in verses 16 to 18, that they needed to do it based on truth and based on uh, ethics, not moved by preference, preferential treatment to the rich or intimidated by the powerful, but they needed to judge every uh, conflict between people based upon the truth, based upon what was righteous. And so that was the situation back then. They got it already fulfilled, the plan to make them a great nation, that promise. And now he was going to fulfill the land promise if they were willing to let him. Comments and questions through verse 18. 19 to 25.
1: So we departed from Horeb. And went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, "You have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged." And every one of you came near to me and said, let us, send, let us send men before us, and let them search out the land for us, and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up, and of the cities into which we shall come. The plan pleased me well, so I took of <coughs> your men, one from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains, and came to the valley of Eshkol, and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us.
0: Okay, you can come on up and sit in front if you want to. We've got plenty of seats up here. And you know how front seats are. Okay. So here in Deuteronomy 119 he's again recalling what happened. They came to Kadesh Barnea And Moses told them, this is the land God gave you. You know, this is the land God has promised you. Do not fear or be dismayed. They suggested, well, why don't we send some spies in to tell us about the land and how we should approach it and all that. And I thought that was a good idea. So they they went and they spied out the land. They brought back some of the fruit. And they said, is this a surprise based upon what God had said? They said, it's a good land. God is giving you. What had God told them the land would be like? Yeah, flow with milk and honey. It was going to be a wonderful... Sure enough, just the kind of land God said. To this point, everything has gone well. Unfortunately, it doesn't continue to go well. Look at verse 26. Yet, you were not willing to go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you grumbled in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of the Anakim there. Look at their attitude.'" They should have made up their mind and began to fight against the Canaanites. Instead, they decided to fight against God. They turned on God. They blamed Him because it was difficult. There were giants. They, They were upset because there's people in there that are big and tall and they have really great cities. And they thought that the difficulties and the challenges that they were facing in taking the land were a sign that God was rejecting them. They thought that There shouldn't be any obstacles and there shouldn't be any problems when God gives you a job to do. Now, we need to learn that lesson. That's not the truth. Don't think that because it's not easy that therefore God must not be in it. Therefore God must have abandoned me. Therefore, you know, what, what happened to the Lord? Certainly, God has the strength to enable us to overcome challenges and difficulties, and He uses those things to strengthen our faith and to strengthen us and to purify us. It's not a bad thing necessarily when we face things that are really hard and take a lot of courage and require a lot of trust and faith in God. If they had trusted the Lord, God was stronger than every Canaanite giant and every fortified city that had ever been in the whole world. But they were not trusting God, they were looking at the obstacles. Now, I think I'm going to try to see if I can figure out how to do these chart things here, although i like to say I don't have a whole lot of these, but uh, maybe i can get
3: this to come on, and maybe I can't, I don't think I did, so who knows, Well, maybe it's is going to take a minute.
0: Anyhow, we'll see if that comes on, if it doesn't, we'll work on that. Is it up? i will go.
1: Okay, you got to Yes? Yeah, I do. As if, as if Satan isn't enough it says in 28 our brethren have made our hearts melt and sometimes we do that when we should be encouraging people to go forward
0: yes,
4: that's exactly right not exactly sure why this isn't automatically uh, right there. <coughs> there, maybe
0: Okay. not sure why but yeah that's exactly right sometimes our biggest discouragements are from our brethren you want to figure out what we're doing here right because when brethren think that you know we can't do it they can be more discouraging to us than what the enemy is and you know you think about how we face similar obstacles we have our high walls and our anakin today when we say, you know, I just can't do this. Maybe we're talking about fighting temptation. And we say it's just so hard. It's just so difficult. Yeah, thank you. You got it up. I appreciate that. Um, and, uh, okay, let me see if I can do the right thing here now. Okay. And uh, I wanted to show you this for a second, and then I'm coming to a screen that will show what works. Well, this is the basic idea of the book. Uh you've got the historical prologue, that's what we're in. You've got basic principles, then the specific laws, then kind of the covenant ceremony, the blessings and the cursings, the terms of the covenant, and concluding narratives. That's just one outline of the book as a whole, and that outline would fall pretty much along the lines of ancient Near Eastern treaties. And I want to show you this. You know, look at what it says in verse twenty eight. You know, our brethren have made our hearts melt. It didn't have to be the Israelite hearts that were melting. It could have been the Canaanites. When this generation finally does enter the land under the leadership of Joshua, Rahab says our hearts are melting. And, and a couple of other times in Joshua that I've shown on the screen, 2, 11, 5, one, and seven five, they say that... The Canaanites' hearts were melting because they had heard the great things God had done. God had defeated Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He had led them through the Red Sea and drowned the elite Egyptian army. Who ought to have their hearts melting? It's the people that God is attacking, not the people of God that He is with. So it could have been them. Um, Uh, it could have been the the Canaanites that had their hearts melting so you can think about that a minute but I want you to think about then how we, we face temptation and what do we think I'm too weak, I can't do it that temptation is too strong it's too difficult Uh, I was raised badly I have bad genes I have a terrible environment you know, I have a bad personality, I've got this, I've got, we've got all sorts of high walls and giants that we say we just can't overcome. I, I just, it's, it's too much, it's too strong, I can't do it. Think about how we do that same thing in evangelism. We will say, oh I know God wants us to go out and preach the gospel, but nobody listens. I don't know how they'll reject me. We've already tried it; it never works. Nobody cares anymore, and a whole lot of other things. They're they're really menacing-looking. You know, they might actually say no. They might sometime put a door in our face. You know, probably not, but it might feel like that to us, and and things like that. You think about how similar we are to the Israelites. We just can't do it. Look. Look at the walls. Look at the cities. Look at the giants. What did they need? You know, what was the thing they lacked to go into the land? Wasn't it trust in God and dependence on Him and a willingness to do what He says even if there are challenges? Isn't that how we need to face our battles? Trusting in God? courageously relying on his strength and knowing that the God who can drown Pharaoh and his army can handle any challenge that he gives us. All right, comments or questions down through uh, 128.
1: You had uh, you'd already mentioned that one of the things that it does for us when we face very <laughs> difficult challenges is that it strengthens us. Uh, it also, our weaknesses, as you were just saying, uh, helps us realize that it is God winning the battles for us. So, like you said, even though we've got some of those circumstances where it feels like, how are we going to overcome this? <clears throat> Yet, when it when we do overcome it, we know that it's through God, and we need to be thankful and uh, and express that thanks to God.
0: Yeah. If we could do it on our own, if there was no challenge, then we'd be self-confident and self-righteous. It's a
3: blessing when we know it takes the Lord. Somebody had a hand up over here. Yes first uh, verse 25 talks about, um, you know, how wonderful the land of Canaan was. And indeed, God was promising the Israelites a beautiful land. And today, he's promising us heaven. And I think sometimes we're tempted to look at heaven as some kind of facade that, you know, God's just using the idea of heaven to make us follow him. He's going to follow through with his promise as as long as we're following him, you know, there was a condition with the land of Canaan as long as their Israelites were following what God wanted them to do. Amen. And that seems true to us today. Amen. Micah. Um, in verse 22 it says,
2: Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us. In verse 23 the things seemed good to me. But in the, in the account of Numbers, Numbers 13 starting in verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Is there a discrepancy there, or is there any way to explain
0: that? Well, I think the Lord used the petition of the people to send the spies in. I don't think there was a problem with their sending the spies in. I think that was perfectly reasonable, and it was right for them to do that. God intended to, and He used the petition of the people as the impetus for that. The problem was, the spies gave a bad
2: report, and the people listened. Seth? How far would you push the the similarity in Psalm 22... Uh, David and Jesus went, when David says my heart melted within me well I think it
0: just shows that idea of just kind of feeling overwhelmed and discouraged and things like that I would just use that as kind of a parallel kind of expression that that you know uh, the, the heart melted not necessarily that it was a lack of trust in God but that it was a feeling of being overwhelmed yes
1: um, not only God gave us the strength, but he also gave us the tools to fight those battles. If you look at Ephesians 6, 10. And so there's actually no reason for us to back up okay, or no Because he gave us everything. We
0: have all we need and then some. And Christ we can overcome.
4: Yes.
0: Amen. Alright, would somebody read 29 to 33?
2: do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did before the major before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that he went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek out a place to pitch your tents, in fire by night and in cloud by day. To show you by what way you
0: should go. Okay. So, you know, the facts were the same for Moses as for the people. He heard the same report. But he says, do not be shocked or fear them. Because he trusts in God. He says, God will go before you. Think about what he did with Egypt. Who would have thought that they would have been delivered from the Egyptian pharaoh? These who had been slaves in the land. You know, what an amazing thing that they gained that victory. So, Moses is saying, look above your fears to the Lord. See what He can do. Put your trust and faith in Him. It's that classic conflict between faith and sight, Between... Uh, the, what the Lord uh, says we can do and what it looks like we can do. And they rely on how they are looking at the circumstances. In our own intimidating battles, we have to fight with a power that's greater than our own. You know, when we, like the spies, conclude that the enemy is too great for us, as we said earlier, that's precisely the point. Absolutely the enemy is too great for us. There is no way we have the strength to overcome. That's where we must trust and rely on the Lord. We cannot do it on our own. And we need to be constantly aware that it's God who fights on our behalf. The moment we try to do God's will in our own strength, we will be smitten as far as horror. We'll see that in just a moment. If we're going to try to evangelize or fight off temptation or anything else, because we can handle this, Just leave it to me and not praying and trusting and dependent on God. We can do it. But that was where Moses says, you know, trust God. Think about what God's doing. He's carried you. He goes before you. Trust the Lord. Nobody disagreed with the measurements of the giants. Nobody disagreed with the strength of the wall. The question was, is God God enough to handle this and will we put our trust and faith in Him? Thoughts and comments?
2: Yes, sir. How would you compare the strength of the army of Egypt versus the the Canaanites that they're about to fight?
0: You would assume that Egypt was a lot greater power than the Amorites or uh, uh, any of these other Hivites and Girgashites and all that. As far as I know, everyone would have considered Egypt to be the superpower. Not that these giants weren't impressive, but they weren't Egypt. So, yeah, I think God had already done the greater thing. Other thoughts? Okay, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 1,
2: 34 to 40. And the Lord heard your words and was angry, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. Except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me the Lord was angry on your account, and said, You shall not go in there. Joshua the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Well
0: the Lord was angry. And he took an oath. Now this is not the first oath we've heard from the Lord. Remember his ancient oath to the patriarchs. But he takes another oath and he said, This generation will not enter that land. They won't see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except for Cain." And Moses says in verse 37 that the Lord was angry with me on your account saying not even you shall enter in I think the idea of this is that Moses Moses ended up sinning because the people didn't conquer the land if they had gone into the land that whole deal with striking the rock and speaking to the rock and all that would never have happened if they hadn't been wandering in the wilderness there would have never been an occasion for Moses to commit that sin what you see is the, the serious and far-reaching impact of sins. Their sinning here led to Moses sinning there and to a whole lot of problems that would have never happened had they trusted the Lord. You know, they said that their little ones would become a prey if they went into the land. They used their children as an excuse Not to enter into the land. In Numbers 14.3, Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? In fact, those were the little ones to whom Moses is speaking at this moment, the only ones that will enter the land. Clearly, God did not blame the children for the sins of their fathers. There is the concept in the Bible of some kind of an age of responsibility below which God does not hold men accountable. And so he says, turn around and set out for the wilderness. Remember what he said in verse 7? Turn and go to Canaan. It's kind of a parody of that. Now turn and go away from Canaan. In one stroke, the exodus has been annulled and the history of the nation has been reversed. The door of opportunity is closed and now turn around and and go back to the wilderness and wander. There are serious consequences to a lack of trust in God and to a refusal to do what God's told us. Comments and thoughts through verse 4.
1: Yeah, Tim. I was going to say it's really interesting to me how there's this contrast between the wicked generation and between the good land. And it's such an important theme in
0: the Law of Moses, the idea of polluting the land and how God does not want that to happen. So it's interesting to me how this generation is being cut off from the land so that they don't pollute it. Yes, amen.
1: Yes. Um, With our leaders, he says in verse 38 about Joshua, he says, encourage him. (coughs) Instead of fighting our leaders, encourage them, and again, move forward.
0: Yes, amen. They need to band together now. This is all the history he's referring to, so that they don't repeat that. Now they need to encourage Joshua and yeah. go into the life. Very good. Yes.
1: I think it's kind of sad for uh, Moses' generation and their behavior towards everything that was going on. The fact that they wanted to go back to a form of slavery and, and to stay stagnant and, and just suppressed like that. Oh. I think that's really bad, yeah. and, and it's and it's and I'm uh. also kind happy to see that Caleb's generation and Joshua's generation was able to rise up against that and to continue fighting for further land and for their God. It's amazing
0: Caleb and Joshua themselves were willing to stand up against the uh, multitude at that time. Yes, that's exactly right. Other thoughts? Yes,
4: Randy. Psalm 78 deals with the children of Israel from the time that they crossed the Red Sea to the time that they entered the land of Uh There's a number of things that it points out about their unbelief. It says they kept not the, I'll just just highlight a few things. It says they kept not the covenant of God. They forgave his works and his wonders. They sinned yet more. They tempted God. They spake against God. They believed not. Uh, Their heart was not right with him. Yet they turned back and tempted God. They remembered not his hand for the day he delivered them from the enemy. Yet they tempted God. They turned back, they dealt unfaithfully. And so there's a number of <clears throat> things that they did that we see that were not right. And when we turn into the book of Hebrews, the third chapter, we see a strong admonition for ourselves that we not emulate that same behavior. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, said that you always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath; they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil part of unbelief, and be parting from the living God. So there's a strong connection to what we read now to how we ought to made in our lives.
0: Absolutely, Hebrews three and four are basing the exhortation on our being in a similar position to what the Israelites were in Kadesh Barnea, they had a heart of unbelief. They didn't enter in and they died in the wilderness. Well, we enter into our promised land only if we trust the Lord in a different way than what they they, uh, had refused to do. Yeah, very good point. Yes, sir.
2: All over this chapter, verse 18, verse 20, verse 22, Moses said, I said to you, do this, do that, but you rebelled against me, but... He's not actually talking to the individuals who did that. He's talking to their kids. Uh, how do we... I mean, why does he say... Why does he not say, your, your parents did this? Why, why does he say, you're the ones who did this?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, he does say that several times. I think he's making that distinction. I think he's trying to challenge this generation to not be what their fathers were. I'm not sure if I have a better answer than that. But but I mean, I think a lot of this he's kind of putting in the terms of the way it was 40 years ago. He's going back and reviewing that history and and, and uh, not necessarily charging this generation, but, but basically saying, this is what your fathers did. Yeah, David? Could you
1: not just be speaking to Israel as a whole rather than the
0: generation? Right, right.
1: Good
3: question. Maybe not Other thoughts? Well,
2: there, there's such an encouragement from that, right? I mean, they are being challenged. And, and, and the fact that their parents did this wrong, they need to rise above that. They, they need to not think about things in terms of, well, it won't ever happen to me. But but we need to live our lives in such a way that we're, we're reminded of sins and past sins and, and live our lives that... God has delivered us from those, but not be tempted to go back in. Amen. Yes.
3: 541 right. Forty-one to forty-six. Then you answered and said to me, "We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight. This is the Lord our God commanded us. And whenever we'll one of you will have put on his weapons of war, you are ready to go up into the mountain." And the Lord said to me. Tell them, Do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord, and presumptuously went up into the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in that mountain came out against you, and chased you as bees do, and drove you back from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, so the Lord would not listen to your voice, more give dear to you. So, you remained in of Kadesh many days. According to the days that you spent there.
0: Isn't that an amazing story? I mean, wow! Now they decide they're going to enter the land without the Lord's presence and blessing. It's not always possible to recover a lost opportunity. You know, they missed their one chance to fight God's war, so they decide, we'll just do it ourselves on our power. You know, if you weren't going to be able to conquer the giants with the Lord, how in the world did they think they could conquer them without the Lord? You know, they, they act like they're repentant. But in truth, they're rebelled. They, they're, they're rash. They're presumptuous. You know, it, it's really quite ridiculous of them when God says don't go now they want to go and they decide they will you know as though the presence of the Lord didn't make any difference to the outcome as though they could do it on their own now you think about how much we're like that I bet you sometime in just a physical way you have done something that was stupid and you immediately try to erase the consequences of that. You know, just try to like, what can I do to make that unhappen? And it made it works. I can remember one time I did that in the car. Uh, maybe you can think of some things like that. Where, you know, trying to just say, oh no, I, I want to undo that. You can't undo it. You know, what we have to do is realistically face up to what we have done. You remember how. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about two kinds of sorrow. There's worldly and godly sorrow. Both of them are sorrow. Both of them grieve. But but the one kind grieves for ourselves. It's a selfish grief. You grieve the consequence. You you really want to undo it. You you don't want to feel bad. You know, and, and it really upsets you. And, and But the other kind, you're grieved because you disobey the Lord, you hurt the Lord, and you want to change by doing exactly what the Lord says from here on out. They had grief, and they had remorse, but it led them to rebellion against God as they tried to fix it in their own power instead of humbling themselves and repenting toward God. The result was a total fiasco. It showed that their success totally depended on God's presence. When they went up to attack the Amorites on their own, the Amorites responded like wild bees, bees in a disturbed hive and chased them all the way back to Hormuz. That was a mistake. You know, there are times... <clears throat> When we do things that have consequences, that those consequences will not and cannot be reversed. Now, we can do the right thing now. We can handle it the way God wants us to now. There's always the right thing to do given the situation, but there is not always a way of just taking the situation away. I can't just reverse always the effect of what I did. I need to humble myself toward God and decide from here on out I'm going to listen to the Lord. Now what can I do, God? What, what, what would your will be in this situation and humble ourselves? All right, comments or questions on all this in chapter one?
2: Right. This reminds me of like a, a kid playing with their toys and you know their parents tell them to you know, clean them up, and they don't do it until like the parent stands up, and then they start scrambling to clean them up. Yes, um, you know I, I kind of see that here, like not you know willing to do anything until you know the the hammer is right over your head. But by then it's too late.
0: Yeah, that's a great that's a great analogy. I like that.
2: Chris. This this section has always been really difficult. I think to understand the mindset of the Israelites. God said to go. They said we can't. God said you can't, they said let's go. <laughs> if they had never gone, would they have always thought, maybe we could have gone because we never tried it. But then again, when they had tried it, they could have thought, see, I told you we couldn't do it. <laughs> so it doesn't really tell us their mindset, other than the fact that they're constantly rebelling and on their own. So it's hard to really know how that was, but God did prove to them. I said, don't now at this point, so forget it, and prove that there's no use.
0: Well, I mean, I think the whole key is trusting the Lord and listening to the Lord. You know, we try to do anything different from the way God says, it's going to be a disaster. Always. Good comment. Other
3: thoughts? Yeah, Kelly, in a different situation here if just. Repented and mourned about that. How much different all this would have looked. Amen. And
0: better yet, if they had chosen to go up when the Lord told them to. <laughs> Other <laughs> thoughts.
1: Yes. Uh, Joseph. Uh, I just want to notice something that in verse thirty-seven, where it talks about um, how
2: they. They said blame the Israelites for. Um, what was Moses, his sin, I think it's interesting that because their weakness, he sinned, and he's encouraging them to encourage Joshua so that they may enter, instead
3: of causing him to sin be. Great point, yeah, it's a good comparison. Yeah, uh, I like that. Yes? You know, all of the mental strength that we had, all the motivation, um, you know, can't always, you know, in this case... You know, I'm sure Israel, you know, had the desire and uh, motivation and, and energy to uh, try uh, try to attack the Amorites, but you notice how you know it doesn't work out, and you know sometimes I think we tempted to uh, get angry and become and pour out all of our energy uh, into something that, you know that ends up in a disaster. When it was something God never
0: in the first place. Right, yeah. Yeah, if, if, if it's not the Lord's will, then it's not the Lord's fault when it doesn't work out well. Other thoughts? Okay, chapter 2, would somebody read verses 1 to 8?